Informed Dissent, the intersection of healthcare and politics, with Dr. Jeff Barkey, board-certified primary care physician, and Dr. Mark McDonald, board-certified child, adolescent, and adult psychiatrist. Well, Mark, great to be with you on another episode of Informed Dissent. How are you? Hello. I'm doing well. We're super excited. Every once in a while, we have to get we get somebody really special on and somebody that we both know really well. And uh, we've got a great guest tonight, and that's Dr. Taryn Clark. Taryn Clark is a dear friend. We've known her for a while. She's one of the warriors with us on the front lines fighting medical tyranny. And Taryn is a board-certified neurologist, private practice in Newport Beach. So Dr. Clark, welcome to Informed Dissent. Thanks for having me. It's so fun to be here with you guys. So we uh, we had shared uh, on a previous podcast that Mark and I had been together at a dear friend's uh, birthday celebration. And we can tell everybody now it was your birthday celebration and we're excited to celebrate with you at, at your house. Thank you. I'm, I'm glad to be joining you in my second half century. So. You know, it's interesting. We were chit-chatting before we went live here and you recently came back from Hawaii. And tell us about your COVID experience in Hawaii and what that was like. Well, it, you know my husband, he's just the best guy in the world. And so he had planned to take me to Hawaii, my favorite place in the world, um, for my 50th birthday. And we actually were flying out on my birthday. Um, and then the COVID restrictions just were so crazy. Um, we were concerned we wouldn't be able to go and we were only gonna be there for five days. So. You know, at one point we were like, wow, we're going to be quarantined the whole trip. Um, but, you know, neither of us have had the COVID vaccine because we both had COVID. So it's really unnecessary um, for that, among other reasons as well. Um, and we were so fortunate that Hawaii decided to end all of its COVID mandates um, two days before we were arriving. So no vaccine passport uh COVID card, whatever, no COVID testing, no quarantines, no masks. So, um, you know, I thought living in California, we've had our restrictions taken away and a lot of people still choose to follow them. Sadly, they're just so used to wearing a mask on their face. Um, so I wondered, you know, how different it would be. In fact, almost everybody had a mask-free face. It was lovely. They must have been so ready to get back to breathing that beautiful air um, there were way less masks uh, in on the big island of Hawaii um, in terms of workers, guests, everybody than I see in Costa Mesa or Newport Beach or Irvine nowadays, especially Irvine. I mean, Irvine is heavily masked still, even though there's no mandate. So it was a really pleasant experience. That's great. You know, it's interesting to me. It's not clear to me that they're lowering the mandates and lowering their masks because they think the science has changed. I think it's more that they're sick and tired of the economic impact that uh, this pandemic, and more importantly, the reaction to this pandemic, especially from the Hawaiian government, has had on the on the various islands. I mean, same thing in New York. It's not as if they suddenly have found their conservative credentials. They just realize they're killing their economy. They're destroying the cities, and uh, and it's and, and they and I think deep down inside they realize that these mandates not only make no sense scientifically. Uh, but certainly make no sense politically, and they simply do not work. The masks don't work. Vaccine mandates don't work. And I think they want to maintain the political face of, uh, of, of Dr. Fauci, but at the same time, they realize that the economic impact is just too severe to continue this nonsense. 100%. I mean, I'm sure they see everybody, everybody going to Florida because 
why not? Yeah, no, no doubt about it. You know, and I was telling you earlier, uh, my wife and I were out canvassing. She's running, of course, for re-election to the County Board of Education. And we were out in your hood, and I didn't realize it until I saw a wrapped Jeep in front of your house, wrapped with uh, Quirzy. And during the pandemic, of course, and even now, we think nutraceuticals are an important part of treatment and preparation for getting a viral illness. And many people are familiar with a variety of the protocols, including taking quercetin and zinc and vitamin C and D3 and so forth. And you came up with this wonderful idea to combine several of these products into a single pill. And you did that. So tell us a little bit about Quirzy and where can our audience find out more about this interesting product? Oh, you're sweet to bring it up. Um, well, at Quirzy.com, which is Q-U-E-R-Z-I.com or it's on Amazon. Um, but, you know, so I, as you know, my specialty is dementia. And so my patients are quite a bit older and they really um, were at higher risk for developing COVID if they got SARS-CoV-2. And, and once I started looking at some of these nutraceuticals um, and, you know, there was prescription prophylaxis, but that was really hard to come by. Um, and people had really been spooked by the uh, media takedown of it. And um, so I, I just couldn't sit around and watch my people be sitting ducks for COVID. And so um, I prophylaxed almost every one of my patients uh, with quercetin, vitamin D, zinc, and vitamin C. And they're just, you know, there's great um, medical information to support that. Um, but as you know, when you have older patients, they are already taking 10 to 20 meds, it feels like. And so to add four more things was just too much. So um, that's why I put it all in one, just to make it easy. I mean, you can easily get these supplements everywhere. They're widely available, but um, I was just trying to make it easy for them. Um, and uh, it worked pretty well. My oldest patient that I had on a quercetin-based regimen um, to get COVID, um, or actually to be infected with SARS-CoV-2, I should say, because she didn't develop pneumonia, was 92, living in a memory care. And um, her granddaughter called me and said, there's an outbreak at her memory care. Um, she, we don't have her test back yet. We don't know if she has it. And then the next day they got the test back and she had it. I said, oh, shoot, what, what's her, what are her symptoms? She has a little bit of a runny nose. And you know, um, your, your audience may not, but if you have a patient who's in nursing home or memory care, you have to write their vitamins and nutraceuticals as a prescription. So I know she's getting it every day. Um, and sure enough, she went through the whole thing with sniffles. Now she's 94. So um, it was just at her very end of her 92nd year. So you know, it can make a huge difference. And, and the crime with our, especially our institutionalized elderly, is that we didn't at least get them all on vitamin D. I mean, it's just so shameful. I can't stand it. And then, you know, you add on a couple other things and it's only that much more powerful, but it just, it didn't have to be like this. Yeah, it's really, it's really too bad. And, um, you know, being a neurologist, I know I've sent you some patients, we've shared some patients together. Um, what what should somebody now independent of COVID, are there nutraceuticals that you recommend in general just for memory health, for brain health? Yeah, there are. I'm kind of becoming a hippie, so I should say that disclaimer. Um, I, I've always been really interested in the lifestyle um, optimization in terms of brain health, but this pandemic has even opened up my eyes more to the damage we're doing with some of the, pharma the pharmaceuticals. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, I. 
I do really like uh, acetylcysteine or NAC. Um, also, the B vitamins are really important. Um, I, you know, there's no denying that if, if you're B12 deficient, that was a major cause of dementia um, at the beginning of the last century. Um, so, you know, identifying these deficiencies certainly needed to be treated. And then on top of that, maybe adding um, some other nutraceuticals. There's so much information out there. It's just, it's... Um, doesn't get a lot of press. It's really hard to dig and find nutraceuticals um, and things to support your body. I love fish oils, EPA, D, uh, DHA, great for brain. Alpha lipoic acid is fantastic for brain. Um, so there's really a lot to do to, to keep our brains healthy. And um, especially if we start early, like in the midlife, it makes uh, a bigger impact. And I think, you know, you and I talked at your party as well, the importance of not doing things that we know can hurt brain health. And in particular, there's a lot of controversy about using statins. First of all, it's controversial whether it really makes that much of an impact from a cardiovascular disease standpoint. And there seems to be a growing body of evidence that can, uh, it can affect your brain health as well. Yeah, it's a great point. Um, I've tried to explain it to patients in terms of, you know, most of the times when we have an intervention, the data become pretty clear. You know, so um, does lowering um, sugar impact, you know, kidney disease and diabetics. Well, 99% of the studies are going to say yes. And then maybe there's going to be, you know, some wild study out there that's poorly designed and shows the opposite, you know, but you really have such a clear majority of the data, kind of like ivermectin, clear majority of the, of the data showing that it's helpful for prevention treatment of COVID. Um, and with statins, the data is not nearly so clear. It really um, is somewhere in the middle. It's not 90% positive and 10% negative, not, not close to that. And so you mean for helping, for helping cardiovascular disease, um, for helping, um, memory. Um, okay. and so, so the, so the way to understand why there's so much, um, conflict in the data for memory and statins is, you know, your whole brain is just covered in cholesterol. Um, but the statins may have some, probably nitric oxide effect um, that's helpful. Um, it's probably not from lowering cholesterol that it's helping brain health. That's probably where the negative's coming in. And in combination with lowering CoQ10 levels, um, you know, the CoQ10 is important for generating energy in our cells and the mitochondria of the brain are super sensitive to low CoQ10. And that's it. I mean, that's a side effect listed. If you pick up your Lipitor prescription, that's on the list you get of everything. It, it's, it's not, you know, debatable if that's a side effect. It does lower those CoQ10 levels. Our brain needs them. The the positive we're seeing um, possibly from statins is slightly lowering the stroke risk, which is slight, just like it is in heart disease. Um, and so that's where you might get some positive because if you can lower stroke risk, um, you save brain and that's good for memory. Um, but I, I'm getting to the point with my patients and seeing patients who've been on long-term statin use, I don't think it's benefiting their brain health overall. And, um, I think we really need to pull back the, the effect on the, the heart disease, as you say, is so minimal. I mean, 1.8%, it's, it, I just don't think it's worth, um, potentially harming our brain health. Yeah, no doubt. And, you know, obviously Mark, you deal with brain health all the time from a slightly different angle. Um, and are, are you, what's your perspective when patients come in? You know, I've really changed, first of all, I, you may, 
I think you guys would agree with this. I've had to learn so much that I learned in medical school. It's ridiculous um, from how to treat people naturally and holistically, how to um, uh, kind of mitigate my impulse to want to use antibiotics, for example, when somebody seems infected uh, versus using nutraceuticals and just good old fashioned care to allow body's immune system to fight this off. You know, I even had a patient the other day came in and they were stressed out and so forth and a lot of a lot going on in their life. And their request was, can you give me a medication to help me with anxiety? Like, can you just put me on some Xanax or can I take some Prozac or Celexa, you know, for a few months until things get better to help me with the anxiety? And not too long ago, I may have leaned in that direction to say, sure, what's a little Xanax or take a little Prozac for a few months until things get better. But I'm, I'm not doing that anymore. I'm, I'm trying to do just the opposite, to say, no, let's look at what's going on in your life. Let's find a pathway to success of how you can take care of you with a combination of supplements and lifestyle and meditation and counseling and all of the above. But let's not automatically get into this disease state mentality, meaning Anything that ails us is some disease that can be cured by a pharmaceutical. I'm trying to really get away with that. And I think too many physicians are trained with that mentality. I mean, heck, if you go to almost any medical school now, you'll see routinely uh, that the, the medical students and the residents will have pharmaceutical lunches almost every day. Some pharmaceutical company that brings them food, and I'm all for people bringing me food, but that also gives those companies an opportunity to sit down and in a biased way, um, give their perspective on whatever drug it is that their company makes, and they make billions and billions of dollars of this. And we need to get away from that. We need to teach the students holistic care, almost, almost like naturopaths and more often than not, um, osteopaths learn and get away from this idea that everything is a disease that must be cured uh, with a pharmaceutical drug. Mark, what are you seeing in your practice as a psychiatrist? Well, I think about 80 to 90 percent of the problems right now in my practice are environmental. And most of it comes from detachment and disconnection from other people. That's where anxiety stems. When people are spending all of their time in a box at home in front of a screen, they're not seeing people except for their immediate family, which can drive them crazy after a few months. They're not going out. They're not getting sunlight. They're not moving. And they're exposed to access to alcohol and other drugs. This really leads people to a really poor state of, of mental functioning. They get depressed. They get anxious. They don't sleep. And then the cycle continues. So... Most of the time now in the last couple of years, uh, other than people who have an organic illness, and there are some at least that have organic mental illness, schizophrenia, bipolar disorder, obsessive compulsive problems, the people that have garden variety anxiety and depression that's gotten worse, those people, essentially, I tell them you have to focus on three things. You have to focus on diet, exercise, and sleep. And I call that the three-leg stool. You know, if you have a stool that you sit on, it has three legs. If you have solid legs, you're going to sit, you're going to, you're going to stay up. If you take one leg away from that stool, the stool's going to fall over. Unless you have really good balance and you can ride a <laughs> unicycle. But other than that, it's going to fall over. So you've got to have those three legs solid. Now, if you've got diet, exercise, and sleep at 90 to 
and you're still having problems, then we'll talk about medications. But I don't even want to talk about medications until people have got those three things in order. And most people don't. In the last couple of years, for most people, one, two, or all three of those have just completely fallen into the toilet. Yeah, no, no doubt about it. And I agree with you. But too often now, patients are not looking internally at what they can do to get better. They're looking externally at what you or mm -hmm. me or Taryn as a physician can prescribe to them to make them better. That's right. That's the whole, that's the whole source of the problem, in my opinion. Hey, Taryn, so, you know, Mark talks about diet. Um, I don't know. There's like 8,000 different diets and there's some fad diet every, every other week that seems to come out from a, you know, ketogenic diet to a paleo diet, to a vegetarian diet, to a Mediterranean diet, you know, God only knows what's coming out next. What, what's, what kind of diet should people be looking at for brain health? So it, it goes back, I mean, we go back centuries and centuries in neurology um, with ketogenic diet. Um, you know, Mark will remember from his training, our specialties cross paths so much during residency training, but one of the treatments for childhood epilepsy, and it's actually very effective, is ketogenic diet. Um, and so I did learn about that a bit in training. It's really hard to do. You can really only do it with toddlers because you control their environment. So, you know, once you cheat at all, that's out the window. Um, there are some studies in older folks with dementia. Dale Bredesen um, has really done some fantastic work um, with, with optimizing lifestyle. And ketogenic diet is super effective. But I've had so many patients try as they might. And if they have dementia, their, their spouse caregiver cannot keep them on a ketogenic diet. It's really impossible. So where I start is, you know, some of the big ticket items, sugar, we're just eating all this processed garbage. And I think that's the explosion um, of memory problems and dementia is the lack of exercise, the lack of sleep, as Mark mentioned, and the garbage we're putting into our bodies and just the exhaustion of the insulin system. Um, so what I usually start with my patients is I try to get them on the American Heart Association uh, guidelines for sugar, which is 24 grams a day for women, 36 for men. Um, you know, and a little bit of treat will fit in there once in a while when it's special. You know, I want people to go back and live like they're in the 50s where you might have had cake because it was somebody's birthday. Um, you would have had a sweet when it was baked for you. You wouldn't be walking into the bank and having a big Costco gross cookie that's not even good. That's probably your whole sugar for the day and not even appreciating the taste of it. So, you know, there's 24 linear feet of, of candy at the at the of the hardware store now. So my first goal is to try to get them to cut back, get out some of the easy offenders like yogurt is full of sugar, granola bars. You know, they can take some of those out and still have those things they really enjoy, some dark chocolate, um, a glass of wine here or there. Um, and then if they can get to that, then we start working on um, carbs in general and trying to you know cut out bread and cut out rice. Um, I find that gradual approach is manageable. When people try to go straight to something like keto, it's just doomed from the start. Um, I also, you know, really think that we should be avoiding um, soy and um, vegetable oils are terrible for the brain. If you, you know, if you can do, well, I, I can't pick one thing. If you can do five things, <laughs> sleep, cut out vegetable oils completely. Um, you know, look at labels for canola oil. Do not eat that. It's so bad for your brain. You want to be coconut oil and olive oil um, and then butter. I'd rather have people using butter than vegetable oils. They're just 
they're terrible for brain health. Yeah, got you. And you're a fan of fish oil as well for yes, brain health? Yes, absolutely. To the point of supplementing, because okay. a lot of our fish doesn't have as much you know, oil in it as it should, especially if it's farmed. You, you know, while, while we're talking about that, kind of changing topics a little bit, I heard Bobby Kennedy interviewed, I can't remember even who was interviewing him. Oh, I know, it was um, Steve Bannon. And Steve Bannon was interviewing him and he starts off by saying, okay, let's, let's, get the, let's talk about the elephant in the room. Are you an anti-vaxxer? I need to know. I need to know, Bobby, are you an anti-vaxxer? Everybody calls you an anti-vaxxer. He says, no, of course not. I'm not an anti-vaxxer. And he said, and by the way, I'm very much against mercury being in our fish. And I fought really hard against the environmental companies to prevent the pollution of mercury and PCBs and so forth in our fish. That doesn't make me anti-fish. I thought that was hilarious. Yeah, it's a great way to put it. It's a great perspective. So what about what about alcohol? There's a lot of people that enjoy a beverage now and again, and probably many people drink too much. What role does alcohol have in brain health? So if you drink too much, um, like you really pollute your brain with it, you'll develop um, dementia vulgaris, which vulgaris just means common, just pure toxic death of cells at high levels. Um, alcohol is toxic to the cells. And we, we don't, regenerate brain cells to any appreciable um, manner that can outpace that cell death from a stroke, from severe alcoholism, from drug use. So, you know, what, what your mom said was right. It's, it's all about moderation with alcohol. So I'd prefer um, my patients to stick with one drink a day. Um, once they have um, an illness with dementia, they have less brain tissue and they're more sensitive to it. And so then we usually cut it out altogether. Well, you know, it's interesting. Uh, somebody vis-a-vis -vis social media gave me a continuous glucose monitor to try out. I'm not a diabetic. Uh -huh. And so I put this thing on. I've been wearing it for the last four or five days. And there's an app on your iPhone and you hold it over it and it gives you all these numbers. It's actually recording numbers every 15 minutes. And then the sensor will download the information. It's super interesting to see the effect of various foods I eat. I, I had a couple cocktails the other night. And the next morning when I looked at that monitor, my blood sugar during the night dropped down into the 40s. I'm like, wow, how did that happen? And there's something about alcohol, how it affects your liver and glycogen or whatever that tends to drop your blood sugar following uh, drinking and so forth. And I wasn't aware of that until I experienced it myself and actually looked at the monitor and saw that that's happening. So somebody who's drinking regularly and they have these wide and wild swings of their blood sugar, that can't be help, helpful for you. And I'll bet that's in part why alcohol disrupts normal sleep patterns because of that uh, blood sugar variation. That's interesting. I was wondering too, if we could maybe um, <clears throat> enter into the for foray of um, absurd hospital discharge orders, because I had a great one a couple weeks ago, which oh, yeah. I would love to have please, you and Mark try to guess what my patient was discharged on. <laughs> okay. So I had a, um, because I treat COVID, because um, you're, Jeff, one of the few people in our neighborhood that does. And so um, I had to step a little out of my specialty and get re-educated so I could help help our community as well. Um, so the first responder uh, on the weekend who came down with COVID, as you know, if you're a first responder and you get anything, including COVID, it's considered work-related. So they his department told him to go to the ER. He went in our local neighborhood. He was hoping he'd get monoclonal antibodies, fully vaccinated and boosted. Um, they did not offer him monoclonal antibodies. His symptoms were a sore throat and a fever, like right around 100, maybe 100.2, nothing super remarkable. 
So they discharged him on two medications. Do you want to guess what the two medications they discharged this man on were? Healthy, healthy middle-aged oh, first responder. Oh man, I don't, I don't know, Z-Pak and prednisone or something. No, because those would be effective. So um, they they discharged him on Zofran, which is oh, for nausea, vomiting, uh, even though that wasn't his symptom at all. And then for the sore throat, they gave him Vicodin. Yeah, nice. so we gave him an addictive opiate medication that's really not effective for a sore throat. The good news about Vicodin, it's actually easier to fill Vicodin than <laughs> ivermectin true. or hydroxychloroquine. <laughs> yeah, but like, you know, aspirin, which would you know decrease the hospitalization by eighty percent, couldn't just toss an aspirin at him, or you know, or just Tylenol for this mild fever. But Vicodin, I mean, it was just, it, I, I, I don't know where to go with with what we're. what medicine is doing to people. It's just absurd. Oh, it's insane. Speaking of COVID, you know, I don't know if you guys heard this, but uh, one of our friends, you you know who, his name is Brian Tyson. He may be the COVID king of the United States, meaning he and his partner, uh, Fareed, um, may have treated more COVID patients than anybody else in the entire country. I think they're up to like 10,000 out of his urgent care. He, uh, He practices in El Centro, California, and he recently announced he's running for Congress, Brian Tyson for Congress. So there's a friend of mine that's running his campaign. And uh, if you look him up, Brian Tyson, T-Y-S-O-N, um, I think it's super cool. And he's got a he's got a decent chance of bringing some sanity uh, to Congress. And of course, as a as a physician, I think he'll be a welcome voice in the otherwise sea of ridiculousness and, and ignorance uh, in Washington, D.C. So that'll be a that'll be a fun race to follow. And uh, good luck to Brian Tyson. If you're out there and you want to support him, I'm trying to look up his um, his website as we speak. But you can just look him up and Google him, Brian Tyson uh, for Congress and give give him a look and consider supporting him. Yeah, I would, he has a book it out is too. one of the interesting. Oh, go ahead, Mark. I just wanted to mention he's got a book out. Uh, he and his uh, doctor partner. Uh, Dr. Farid, they put out a book a few months ago. Um, I think it's called The COVID Darkness or something like that. And uh, he had a pre-order of thousands of copies of a Kindle edition and Amazon canceled it before they were actually distributed because of the um, misinformation apparently that it contained. Oh, interesting. So he's been he's been censored. Of course he has. Yeah, it's amazing that you could say this is my clinical experience. I, I, it's amazing that somebody could call that misinformation when it's your what is your experience? Yeah, for I sure. I think they used, they used the excuse that the information he had in the book had come from other sources. I think that's what he said. Wow. And uh, Brian, <laughs> just for your just for your information, he has been endorsed by uh, by Sean Hannity um, and uh, and some other big names as well. So it's exciting. I'd love to see it. You know, it'd be really fun is if Brian were to win, we should go to Washington, D.C. for his swearing in. That'd be a lot of fun. <laughs> it's super fun. There's quite a few doctors that are running that have been on the COVID front lines. I mean, I think, you know, they've known from day one what was going on because they saw it. And then they saw how public health distorted things. And they're really rising to the challenge and, and realizing if we don't have some rational medical voices to protect the citizens, I mean, like this Dr. Pan in California, he's terming out. So he's introducing these horrible bills because he doesn't ever have to get reelected. And I mean, he's he's just willing to harm the children of California, all citizens. I mean, these bills are horrible. But I mean, some of the doctors that have gotten into um, political power are, are just 
awful, awful people. So I'm glad to see that there are heroes of the pandemic who were private people and never thought they would step into the arena, but they're they're called to. Yeah, no doubt. Dr. Oz, I understand, uh, has jumped into the race, too. I think he's running for Senate or something like that. So good, good for him. We need more conservative physicians. I mean, listen, doctors used to, used to play a really important role uh, back in the founding. There, there were a bunch of doctors that signed the Declaration of Independence, and I think we need to stand up uh, for medical freedom again. I think Ryan Cole is running in the state of Idaho as well. Oh, no yeah, kidding. he's running for yeah, governor, right? Governor of the state, I believe. Yeah, he he had this. He had posted a photo oh, of himself fantastic. the day that he filed, which was maybe one or two weeks ago. I saw it online. Wow, that's something. So we'll we'll have uh, uh, America's frontline doctors uh, in in D.C. You know, uh, we'll we'll get there again uh, this time in as legislators, and that'll be fantastic. Yeah, I think Ryan. Uh, uh, not for, uh, I almost. Um, Ar- Robin Armstrong is running for state legislature in Texas, too. Oh, that's yeah. great. Yeah, he's yeah. a good yeah, guy. He's a great guy. For those that don't know, of course, uh, Dr. Clark also was a early participant in America's Frontline Doctors as well. And so uh, it's really come first, full circle. Dr. Clark, what are you going to be running for? <laughs> oh, my goodness. When I, when I went on sabbatical, <laughs> that was the first thing my cousin said to me. She said, is that because you're running for office? I was like, oh. I mean, I, I do think we we need to be open to the call, but I don't think I'm the right person. <laughs> yeah, it can it can also get pretty ugly in politics Absolutely. as well. Um, so if people want to find out more about you, Dr. Clark, is there a place that they can follow you, a website or social media, et cetera? Um, you can follow me on Twitter. I'm still on there, which is shocking. Every day I'm surprised that I, I get updates. Um, on Getter, I'm ClarkMD. Um, and then ClarkNeurology.com, but there's not really much on my website right now. So, um, probably Getter and Twitter are the best places to find me. Yeah. You know, when we had the, uh, Babylon B founder on, I was a little bit embarrassed because, you know, he said, what's your conservative credentials? Cause I hadn't been, uh, banned from Twitter. So I'm, I'm working really hard to try to get banned and, uh, we'll see if I can get that going yeah. soon. <laughs> and Clark is spelled C-L-A-R-K-E. Yep. I got the easiest for those of you that want to find her. <laughs> Thanks so much for having me guys. It's just, it's always awesome to be together. And, um, I just, I, I've gotten to know you guys so well through this and you're both truly heroes. You have stuck your neck out. And, um, I'm just honored that, that, uh, you guys are, would consider me a friend. I just, you're just fantastic colleagues. I, I love what you've done. Aww. You're here. Well, thanks, Taryn. It's thanks, great Kim. to have you on Informed Descent. It's, it's been great. awesome. And uh, hopefully we'll do it again soon. Sounds good. Have a great week, you guys. You've been listening to Informed Descent with Dr. Jeff Barkey, board certified primary care physician, and Dr. Mark McDonald, board certified child, adolescent, and adult psychiatrist. Informed Descent, the intersection of healthcare and politics.